Welcome to the She Who Wins podcast. I'm your host, Renee Bauer. I'm an attorney, entrepreneur, author, speaker, and investor. This is the place where we dive into all of the things that matter to you, and most importantly, uncover what's holding you back from realizing your dreams. Because she who moves forward fiercely is she who wins. Johanna White is an award-winning graphic designer and visual branding strategist. As the founder of Design by Joe Studio, she believes that if someone is the best at what they do, they deserve to look like it. For the past decade, she's worked with individuals, startups, and Fortune 200 brands worldwide to help them cut through the noise, attract more of their ideal clients, and be as delightfully expensive as they deserve to be. Johanna knows there's no limit on success, and she proved it several years back when she took life by the horns and started three companies within one year, get this, while battling a brain tumor. At a time when everyone else in her life was suggesting that she quit working and go on Social Security to cover medical bills, she chose to do the opposite and defy the odds. As a result, Johanna is now a dreamer extraordinaire for top performers, goal-oriented individuals, and brands. Today, we are talking about the power of your thoughts to create a luxe life. Let's get to it. Johanna, my friend, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. All right. So we have so much to talk about. And when I was recording your bio, I read it and was like, ah, this girl is just amazing and has done so much already. But before you've done any of that, I think what for me is most impressive is what you've personally have gone through, because I think it's something that could really knock anyone out at the knees and have them fall into this victimhood and poor me. And that is not your story at all. So can you take us back to the moment when you had this this life impactful it's a it was a diagnosis, right? That came to you and like what did that look like? What was happening? Well, so what was happening in my life at the time was I was living a very safe, secure, fairly mediocre life. <laughs> I was not a big risk taker and I was all about security. So I worked in my um, degree design, but like at the lowest form you possibly could. And, you know, I had a few friends, same ones I'd had since childhood, barely ever traveled, barely ever, you know, did anything risky. I was, I still had a little bit of the badass roots had started to form. Like I rode horses and, and, uh, spent a lot of time outdoors, but I was very safe, secure. I thought certain of what my life looked like. And then out of the blue, I woke up one night, like 3am with a pounding migraine that lasted for three days. And when it went away, I was left with partial paralysis down my left side. Um, vocal cords were paralyzed. My throat had collapsed partially on the left. Food was coming out of my nose instead of going down my throat. And it was like, every time I tried to swallow, I was choking. Muscles were visibly atrophied. And when it was all said and done, we ended up at a neurologist because the symptoms were just so wacky and so sudden and so varied that came to the conclusion that it was something to do with brain function ended up at a neurologist who did MRIs and CAT scans and called me late one night while I was at work um, because my very safe, mediocre life meant I was working two jobs (laughs) and I was working second shift as like a a proofer at an agency checking ads for errors before they went to print. Super glam. Um, But I'm there by myself late at night and I get this call and he tells me, we found a mass. And I just, my world came to a screeching halt. Wait, how old were you? I was 20, 24, 25. I can't quite remember. Um, it was in, I think, October of 2013. And I was 
just finishing college for the second time. I went once to learn how to train horses and then got hopelessly burnt out. So I went a second time for design and I loved it. But I always felt by the time I was ready to graduate from that, I felt super behind my peers because now I've done this twice. I'm still living in my parents' basement. (laughs) I am still just working this menial job. And I was like, when I got ready to graduate, I was determined this is it. Onward, upward, I'm moving to New York. I'm going to get this job, this major brand agency, really kick butt. And it was two weeks later, I got the diagnosis. So instead of my life going in the direction I had planned, it once again spiraled into just like back to my parents' basement. (laughs) And the opposite direction of where I thought I wanted to go. But honestly, I was so not a risk taker that it probably would have still taken me several more years to move and get that job and do those things because I cared more about um, knowing what tomorrow looked like and not having any risk than I did about living up to my dreams. So I mean, that's so true, right? Like how many women do that? I think it's like, it's, it's like built in us to like, to to function that way. But okay. So now you get this, this diagnosis. What is the prognosis for it? So I asked the doctor immediately. First question in my mind, of course, is what is some mass? What does that mean? Am I going to die? And he says, it's a brain tumor. It's wrapped around your ninth and 10th cranial nerves. And I don't know to the, am I going to die part? And I was like, well, tell me more. You're a doctor, you're a neurosurgeon. In fact, surely, you know, all kinds of things about this. And they said, um, tumors are kind of like snowflakes. They're so different, uh, especially in the brain that it's hard for us to know much about any particular one. So we're going to need to do more tests, more scans, a brain biopsy to find out if it's malignant or benign, all of these things. And so I just like froze and of course freaked out and went into the, why me? What have I done to deserve this? I've been the good girl. I played it safe. I did everything right I mean, not in a super successful way at that point, but I did everything like ate healthy and was super fit, extremely strong. My whole identity, if I had anything to be proud of, was how strong I was. I had like grip strength of 10 pounds stronger than the average man and 40 pounds stronger than the average woman. And like that was basically my identifier was... I'm tough girl. I worked construction. I like, but I could, I could scrape that off and go ballroom dancing on the weekends. I was like this, um, knows how to have fun, but always the good girl does everything right. And I don't smoke. I didn't drink. How did this happen? Like I didn't do anything. And (laughs) so I had all the wine. I don't deserve this. All of that. Um, But then I also had this soul-crushing realization that I had not done anything close to living up to what I was capable of or to living up to my potential. And I looked around at this dead-end job that I was working. Like, I was not going up the ladder at that company. There was no ladder to climb. Um, There was nowhere to go. And always, like, I would think about going and trying and getting another job or doing something different. And I'd be like, "Mm, well, this one's easy. Barely have to use any brain power. Sure, I barely earn anything. But, you know, the the market is flooded and the design market is flooded. And (laughs) who really needs what I have to offer and all of this stuff? Like I'd rationalized it so hard. But when this happened, I looked around and I went, no. If I don't know how much time I have left, I am not going out like this. I am not going out as a 25-year-old living in their parents' basement having never tried. It'd be one thing if I'd failed massively and, you know, but I hadn't failed because I never tried. 
And I knew that I couldn't live even as short as my life might be. If it was only six months left, I couldn't live with that for that six months. And I also knew that if I only had six months left or, or less or more, like I should be spending it doing work that matters, making a difference in the world and with people that I loved. So I literally, uh, like two weeks after the diagnosis, um, quit that job, walked out, walked down the street, started knocking on doors and saying, hi, I'm Johanna. I design stuff. Do you need stuff designed? <laughs> That's amazing. Did people did people actually say yes? Well, so I'll, I started on business doors. Thankfully, I was smart enough to at least like <laughs> talk to businesses instead of individuals at their houses. But yes, there was a, just a couple of companies that I talked to that they needed a few small um, design things done, and and one was actually like a a small design agency and he needed to subcontract some work. Mm. So with a whopping eight hours of work on the clock, I think I started design by Joe. (laughs) So, oh, wait a second though. You did this when you still had, you had to deal with the brain tumor. Like you, that did not just go away. Like that's something you, so you have this life altering diagnosis and your thought process goes to, let me do some work. Let me do something that brings me fulfillment. So we have to go back because we're leaving everyone hanging. Johanna, what happened with the brain tumor? Like, as you sit here today, you have to tell the story before we get in there. Johanna and I met in person, (laughs) loved her immediately. She tells me this story within like the first 24 hours, my jaw drops. And like, there's a moment that gave me chills when you're talking about just about to have surgery and what happens. Can you share that moment? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I apologize to the audience for leaving you (laughs) hanging. I, I, I um, have been a guest on many podcasts and what happens sometimes is I get so excited about telling the story of healing that I forget to talk about any of the things I promised to talk about, about branding. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get there too. (laughs) So you just keep me on track and I will dive in. So yes, um, I quit and started Design by Joe within like two weeks of the diagnosis because everything was suddenly uncertain. I went from really safe and certain to no idea what's going to happen. And I felt like I can't go out like this. So um, I... But on the health side of things, I had a really good friend of the family who showed up on my porch the day I was diagnosed. He was really good friends with my dad and I used to work for him. He's this awesome guy and he's just this really like black and white in his faith type of person. And he showed up before I'd had a chance to tell anybody what was happening. And he challenged me and he said, first, he gave me a brand new iPad mini loaded with all of his favorite verses that talk about healing and gave it to me. And he said, this is tools for the battle and we're going to fight. And then he said, like, grab your parents. We're going for a walk. Let's talk. And he challenged me on that walk. And he said, Johanna, you have told me your whole life. I've known you a long time. You've told me that you believe in God and you believe in healing. But the way you were telling me about all of this back there, you're not talking like it and you're not acting like it. This is your chance to actually do something about what you say you believe. And I did not want to hear that. (laughs) I I just got diagnosed yesterday. I want to go cry. I want to go tell everybody, feel sorry for me. Mm -hmm. I want to lick my wounds. I want to maybe just curl up in a ball and die. But he challenged me and he, and and of course I tried to rationalize everything he said, like, but but doc, I know all of these people that also were Christians and had faith and, and they, they died. Like they prayed for healing and they died. Or what about this person? And you know, all of these people who deserved it way more than I did, if it's a contest yeah. on who deserves to be healed <laughs> and, right. and they didn't get healed either. And he just said, stop. Their stories are not your stories. And you are the only one who can have something to do with your outcome. And so you need to stop focusing on all the reasons why you think it won't work. Shut that out. It doesn't serve you to focus on that. You need to focus on what you want and how you're going to get there and start talking like it today. And I was like, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to tell people I'm totally fine. 
when I had this soul crushing brain tumor diagnosis. And he was just like, no, you don't lie. You don't pretend everything's okay. But be careful about how you talk. Don't own it. Mm. You know, just say the doctor said this or according to the latest MRI, this. And stop saying, I have a, I am sick. I am this. And I, you know, got really mad. Didn't talk to him for a couple weeks. (laughs) Rightfully so. He probably wanted to kind of like punch him in the face. (laughs) I did. I did. But then I realized that he was right. And I had the choice to choose what I was going to do about this. Like, I knew that if I did nothing, there was a very good chance I was going to die. And even if I stood in faith and believed and talked different, I might still die. But there was a much greater chance that I could do something about this. So I started just like speaking out. So I'm in insane pain, pounding migraines, like muscles aren't working, body is weak on the left side, still a lot of choking and all this stuff. We've got another appointment scheduled with a some surgeon who uses a cyber knife who maybe can help, but the appointment's not for like six months, uh, which surprised me. I thought when they say brain tumor, then really quickly fast track you to yeah. surgery, but they, you know, had really long wait lists for all of the specialty stuff. So they said, we'll do what we can. You're on here for six months. So in that first six months, I decided to do everything that I could on my own. And I just started um, at night playing psalms about healing while I slept. And I started listening to sermons about healing while I worked and trying to drown out the fear that was on a constant hamster wheel in my brain. Someone would be like, hey, Johanna, how are you today? And my brain's going, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Like I couldn't Mm. focus. I couldn't have a conversation with people. I couldn't get much work done uh, because that fear was just running in the back all the time. Going to a baseball game on a Saturday and my friends are laughing and having fun and enjoying the sunshine and I'm going to die. I'm going to die. My head is pounding. I'm going to die. And so I thought the first thing I need to do is tackle the fear because I started to realize that when the fear would really set in, and the anxiety would hit, the symptoms would almost double. Mm. I'd go from choking and feeling like I was choking to literally pass out on the bathroom floor. And I started to catch on that the anxiety had some control over um, making the symptoms worse. And so I was like, I don't know if I can cure the tumor, but I'm pretty sure it can be something about fear. And so I just started, like first I tried to tell myself, don't be afraid. That works super well. Not. <laughs> no, it never like does. When you, when you tell yourself, don't think about an elephant in a yeah. pink tutu, and that's all you can think about. Uh, don't think about the brain tumor. No. But I did start to realize I could drown it out. So I started just putting in inputs. And it. I didn't have enough faith at the moment, so I borrowed faith from other mm. people. And... I would just speak out these verses all day long out loud, telling my body, this is what is true. This is Mm -hmm. what is true. You are healed. By his stripes, you were already healed. He already paid for it. It's already yours. You are healed. And I just kept speaking it out, putting in sermons while I worked, like playing things while I slept. And, um, And pretty soon, the fear started to lessen. And it really lessened when I took a good look at it because I realized, sure, this brain tumor diagnosis brought out the worst in my anxiety, but I'd been anxious my whole life. Why else had I never tried anything? Mm. (laughs) I remember walking through the halls of my high school feeling like I was going to throw up because I was almost late for class. Oh, oh, that's the good girl. Yeah, I was the same way too. Never late, never like break any rules. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Never skip school, never had a single party, never. And the thought of doing it made me so anxious, like fear of disappointing someone or breaking the rules. So I started to go, okay, what am I actually afraid of? Because this brain tumor, sure, it made it a lot worse and more obvious, but I don't think that's what it was. And 
I realized I wasn't afraid of dying. I was afraid of living with a lower quality of life, with having my Mm. happiness taken away by a circumstance. And I realized that I was afraid that I would end up in a wheelchair or on a feeding tube or, you know, paralyzed. And because of that, I would no longer be happy. I would no longer have joy. And then like, I don't want to live that way. So that's what I was afraid of. But as I started to walk through the journey and months start to pass and I'm still in pain and I'm standing and praying and <laughs> like, come on, come on, faith, start to work. Uh, <laughs> and speaking out what I believe is going to happen, but not seeing it happen yet. I found moments where I chose joy anyway. Like I'd be hanging out with people and I'd see them having fun and laughing and smiling and my head is pounding and I'm just frustrated with what is. I, I'm wishing that I wasn't in pain right at this moment, but I started to realize like, you know what? I have done everything I know how to do, standing and speaking and believing and fighting and changing my thinking. And now I'm just gonna surrender and mm-hmm. choose to have joy even in the pain. And when I did that, I realized there was nothing left to fear because joy is a choice and certainty that I thought I needed so badly was an illusion anyway, which, hello, the whole world learned that during COVID. Like, you thought your plans were certain? Just kidding. (laughs) This message is for the dreamers, doers, and goal getters out there. The She Who Wins Summit, a live event experience, is coming to Connecticut on April 28th and 29th, 2023. It's time to supercharge your soul so you can show up even more powerfully in your life, in your relationships, and in your business and career. Learn more at shewhowins.com. What's so remarkable to me is that You know, we see all the time when people are going through something, they lose a job or they get divorced or break up or whatever it is that they're going through, or maybe their business loses money and it becomes like the defining thing of their life. And a lot of times we see people attach the victimhood to it, the poor me there. It's a circumstance that happened to them, not for them. And here you are having gone through something totally unimaginable, it makes everything else seem so watered down. And you're able to completely change your mind around that and to actually choose joy when most people, probably myself included, would not be able to kind of rally that level of strength and faith. It's incredible. Thank you. I I definitely had my moments where I wanted to just curl up and lick my wounds. I gave up on working out for a while because my body wasn't working. Like I'd always been super strong and workouts would Mm. be stronger, but now suddenly workouts cause pain and they don't yield the results that I wanted. I'm not getting stronger. And so I wanted to give up. And then I found this amazing pair of yoga pants (laughs) online (laughs) that said, I can, I will on the leg. And I bought them. And I laid them out on my dresser and I looked at them every day and I went, movement is a gift. I don't know how many days I have left and I don't know how many days I have left to move. So every single day that I can, I will just because. And that started to shift my perspective and it changed my motivation. It went from I'm doing this to get stronger to I'm doing this because it's a gift and I'm grateful. And I used to be terrified of getting older. At 25, Ah. I I hated my birthdays because I felt so... You did? I I felt... I think in my 30s, I started to hate my birthday. And then like when I made it to my 40s, I'm like, I kind of like this, this thing. I mean, yeah, there's some like weird shit happening, but it's, you know, I, I made peace with it. But yeah, I totally get that. I always felt like a birthday was another milestone to judge how far Mm. behind I felt in life. Like I'm still not where I want to be. Crap, I'm another year older. I'm still in my parents' basement kind of thing, (laughs) which I'm not anymore. I was just going to say, you are not there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) This story has a long way to go. Man, I better speed it up. Um, (laughs) But when I suddenly realized that I didn't want to die young, I got super grateful for every birthday. And every birthday since then has been like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, The Croods. It's a 
animated yeah. movie. But yep. every every birthday, I'm like, still alive! <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, so, so Johanna, <laughs> how old are you now? I'm 34. Okay, so a lot of time has passed between that and now. So what what's happened with the brain tumor? So what happened was I kept standing on what I believed and my body started to respond. Finally, like once the fear was gone, the healing could begin. And my muscles that were atrophied started to come back, even though the doctor said that's nerve damage, even if we operate, it'll never come back, started to come back. And um, I started getting stronger and stronger and stronger less choking, less headaches. But I still went to the next MRI and the next potential surgeon because I wanted certainty. And even though I saw my body responding to the faith and to the belief and starting to heal, which was amazing, I didn't want to ever think about brain tumors again. And I wanted to know that I, like, I wanted proof that I was healed. I never wanted to be a fraud. I had odd fears of that my entire childhood, which is a really funny thing. For a kid to have imposter syndrome, yeah. but I did like, I, I wanted to be able to prove that I was actually healed. So I went to this first six month appointment, they did their scan, they come back and they say, uh, well, we can't tell exactly because we used a different machine, but we think it's the same or maybe bigger. And unfortunately our cyber knife is not actually a good tool to work on it. We've discovered based on where it's at, it could like blow it apart and cause aneurysms, all this kind of stuff. So we're going to recommend you to this other surgeon. You'll go see him in a few months, blah, 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 kind of shuffle me on down the road. I had walked into that, that first six month appointment with faith at an all time high. Mm-hmm. Um, my body is doing really well. Symptoms are like 80, 85% gone. I'm so certain that on that MRI, they're going to see that it's smaller or gone. And when that doesn't happen, I leave that appointment completely shattered, just crying all the way home. I thought I was getting healed, but clearly, according to this MRI, I'm not. So mm-hmm. my like, I must be crazy. And during that appointment, they very helpfully suggested the next like five things that I was probably going to experience. And <sighs> they're like, It'll start pushing out your jaw and blindness in this eye and all these things. Oh, my God. They were trying to prepare me. But I went home from that appointment, went to bed, woke up the next day with all of my symptoms back, plus some new ones. Wow. Just overnight, my body reverted. And I went, what just happened? Like... Mm. I started to put two and two together again and realized just how powerful my mind was in this mm. whole fight. And and so I cried, flicked my wounds again, had some kicked some friends out of my life because they said things like, Johanna, you just need to stop being so optimistic and you need to prepare yourself. Oh my God. Yeah. They're like, You're you're in denial. A- you just, just need to accept this. And I looked at them and went, what good would that do? Yeah. Like, I'd rather die looking like a crazy person telling everyone I'm going to be healed yeah. than, than just curl up and accept this. Because I know that if I do that, I will. I will die. And I don't want that. I want to do everything I can to not. Because I haven't yeah. lived yet. I'm 25 mm-hmm. years old. I have not lived yet. <laughs> and I'm not going out like this. Yeah. And so I um so I started again speaking out the verses, praying, like listening to the things. And it happened quicker the second time. My body started to get better and better and better. And then the cycle repeated itself. Went to the next surgeon. They couldn't help me. I go home. I didn't get all the symptoms back after that when I was more prepared, but I was still really frustrated to see on the MRI they say it's still there. So finally, we hear from a surgeon. This is like a year into it. I've been doing all of this and then I've been building my businesses in the background because I needed to think beyond the brain tumor and I needed to focus on hmm. there is a person after this and she's yeah. a badass and I can't wait to be her. And I had hmm. people tell me when it first happened that I should quit my job and go on Medicaid and 
um, get help with what was probably going to be like a seven figure brain surgery coming up. And because I didn't have enough health insurance to cover all of that. And I knew that if I did that, if I made that choice, I would be the victim forever. Yeah. I like it would be a mindset thing in my head. I would be the person who quit working when they were still physically able to work and who just chose to give up, wait for help. And I thought this princess was not waiting for someone <laughs> to save her. Princess I, in cowboy boots. <laughs> yes. Warrior princess. I had waited too long. Actually, this is hilarious. So I have this mug. I did not plan this, but uh-huh. it says, some days I am a princess oh. and some days I am a warrior. Choose wisely. I love it. <laughs> ah, I love My it. friend got it for me during the whole thing. I love but, it. I love it. But yeah, so it happened again. And so I am, I'm doing everything I can. Like I'm focusing beyond the tumor. I know that I need to be a person that I want to be when it's over. Otherwise it'll be three years later and I'll be the victim who had the brain tumor and I'll have to still start a company or get a new job or something. Like if I plan to live, I got to do something amazing. And I don't want it to be three years later and I still haven't lived up to what I'm capable of. So underneath the surface, I was doing that. And I think that also helped me keep my focus on why I wanted to live aside from being here for family and friends and everything. Like I had a purpose and I had not lived up to it. I had a mission to transform lives and brands and I wasn't even close. And so as you sit here today, you don't have any more symptoms. No right? symptoms. No. Nope. You did not have the surgery. I did not, although that was a roller coaster ride. I kept chasing certainty and going back mm-hmm. to these doctor's appointments and where family and friends at the beginning of the diagnosis were encouraging me to go and they were a little nervous of me just saying like, I just want to heal this through belief. Mm. And they were scared that that was me giving up. And so they were concerned for me and they wanted me to go. By this time, it's like a year and a half, two years down the road. And they're going, Johanna, why are you going back for these? You're clearly healed. Yeah. And I said, no, nah, I mean, I want certainty. <laughs> yeah. I want to I wanna prove to everybody that I'm not mm-hmm. crazy. And I want to show them on this MRI form that I, I'm healed. I want to be able to prove it. And so I went back one final time and I was met this surgeon and he said, I can operate. It'll be no problem. Actually, I deal with this area all the time. And I'm like, where have you been the last two years? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says, it'll be relatively low risk. I'm going to do the surgery, go in through your ear canal, chisel it out, take it out. You'll be good to go. And uh, that's that. Come back in a few months and we will do the operation. So now... I'm signed up for this. I am going against now my friends and family who are like, Johanna, you don't need to be cut into. Please don't. But I want to know for sure that I never have to think about brain tumors Mm -hmm. ever, ever again. So I go for this surgery. It's like 5 a.m. I am prepped, needled, poked, got my sticky socks on, enclosed in my tidy little... (laughs) surgery thing. The anesthesiologist is there ready to knock me out. And the doctor walks in and he says, I changed my mind. I can't do this. I cannot do this surgery to a healthy person. It could potentially put you in a wheelchair or on a feeding tube for life. And until the symptoms do that to your body, I'm not risking that. Wow. And I was furious. I was like, one, you couldn't have looked at my chart any time over the last three months to come to this conclusion. Right, <laughs> right, right. Now it's 5 a.m. I fasted for 24 hours. And right this time. <laughs> Tired and hangry. <laughs> and you picked a really bad time, Mr. Yeah. Surgeon. <laughs> oh, my God. But he, he just kind of told that and then walked out and let me just scream it out. Like I have come so far and yes, a really big part of me knew now that I don't need this because I am healed, but still that part of me wanted it on the paper and I wanted the proof and I wanted this to be the end of it. And funny enough, he still wanted me to come back every six months to watch and wait and like do another Mm -hmm. scan. And I, that was where I put my final foot down and said, nope, I'm going to act in faith like I should have been all along. I'm done with 
coming every six months, getting the pants scared off of me and getting the yeah. like floor knocked out from under me. Yeah. Clearly my faith is growing, but it's not quite that strong yet. So I need to support it by not coming back and hearing your words of doom every six months. Instead, I'm going to stand on what I know, what I've seen, what I know to be true. And now what my body has manifested, which is complete and total healing. And I'm done. So amazing. that was my last visit to the surgeon. Um, was like seven years ago, I think. And Amazing. yeah, did <laughs> we did we talk about this about you writing a book about I think me? Writing- we did I think I feel like I said that to you when we <laughs> met in Nashville? Like you need to write this this story. You need a memoir. I I guess I do. <laughs> <laughs> right, but right. then but then who would have me on their podcast? <laughs> it's all everyone would. No, of course, because that's that's what you use to talk about to get people to uh, pick up your book and buy your book and read it because there's so much more than that. So, that's all right, true. amazing, amazing <laughs> story. But I don't want this this time to end without us talking about branding and how your you know. And I think the tie in here is the story that you just shared that was so personal and and so trying was really changed just by your thoughts. And you were able to create healing and create a new perspective around something that happened to you. So my question is, what impact does that have, your thoughts, your perception on your business? For anyone out there who's growing a business, who has a business, wants to start a business, like how does how do your thoughts actually predict or um, reflect like the type of success that you have? They... It absolutely relates. Like everything that I learned during that brain tumor became the catalyst for my business riding a rocket ship to success. And what it was is I learned um, through that journey of healing that what you believe matters, but what you do about what you believe matters even more. Mm. And when it was basically all said and done. And I'd walked out of that surgeon's office for the last time. I looked at my business and went, okay, it's a few years down the road. I've got this baby business that I I started in this flurry of determination. But once again, I've hit an income ceiling. I've hit a cap. I've hit a wall. And I I just like jumped from one level of mediocrity to a different. Sure, I'm not Mm. at a company now. I'm on my own, but it's a new level of I'm not really taking risks. And most importantly, I believe that I am capable of designing luxury brands for billion dollar companies, but I'm not showing up in the world Mm. like I believe that. I'm not doing anything about what I believe except trying to tell people, hey, I can do great things for your business. And so I went, okay it is time for me to do something about what I believe in my business. It's time for me to stop just telling people what I'm capable of and actually show them. And more importantly, show up as that. And so I sat down with my business. I took three months off from taking any clients. And um, which by the way, (laughs) I know you read my intro, but I feel like I've been talking to your audience like they already know me and they might not. So I do brand identity and custom websites and personal branding, um, big picture transformation, um, capturing your uniqueness and showing it to the world in a way that helps you um, attract your ideal clients, magnetize your dream opportunities and be as delightfully expensive as you deserve to be. Ah, I love that. (laughs) But but at that time when I had just ended the brain tumor, I wasn't doing that yet. I was saying I could, kinda, in a messy, muddy way, but I wasn't showing up as that. And so I sat down, I looked and I said, what needs to change? And it was that I was saying I could do greatness, but I was showing up again mediocre. So I completely redid my own brand. I wrote my messaging. I went and first I learned a lot about messaging so that I could do that for my clients. 
that I wrote mine. And then I went and said, I can't just, again, tell people that that their brand can be transformed. I got to show them. So I went and made myself these like luxury business cards that you'll see on the Which homepage. are awesome. <laughs> I have they, one. They stop people in their tracks, literally. And I went and redid my website and I did this crazy fun photo shoot with like custom nails with diamonds that I got on Etsy. And I bought this Hermes bracelet and these Louboutin heels. And at is, the that, time, is this the bracelet that we were yes, yeah, yeah, bonding yeah. over? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And at the time, that was really expensive for my annual income, that Hermes bracelet and those Louboutin heels. But I knew who I yeah. was. Even if are. I were, I, <laughs> I knew who are. I am, but <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't showing up as that yet. So yeah. I made some decisions that my husband was like, Are you crazy? Maybe you could wait on those until your business has skyrocketed. I was like, No, no, no. I gotta be this now. And act then act as if. Act as if. <laughs> yep. And so I I did. I did the photo shoots. And like the day after I launched my new new website with this showing up as like, mm. I knew my value now, but now the world knows value. I was in like day after I'm in a coffee shop doing some work. Some guy randomly wanders over and asks if he can borrow my power cable because he sees I have a Mac and he's got a Mac and it's on desk doorstep. And so <laughs> he borrows my power cable, uh, comes back 30 minutes later to return it, asks me what I do. I give him my brand new card, which stops him in his tracks. It's like ooing and eyeing and petting it. And then he run, <laughs> runs back to his table. He comes back five minutes later and he goes, okay, I went to your website immediately because your brand is ridiculous. And I saw how consistent it is and how intentional. And I see that you get branding and you get luxury and I need you to do some work for me. And by the way, I work for Google. And ah! <laughs> it's like, amazing. What? Okay. <laughs> let's talk. And in that instant, everything shifted because mm -hmm. I had gone from just believing that I was capable of greatness to showing up as an expert who delivers greatness across every touch point. And that, so that was, you know, really relevant for my business because yeah. I am in branding, but it applies to every business. Where are you like, either you're stuck undercharging yeah. and there's lots of reasons. Maybe it's your brand. Maybe it's one step even before that, that I work on my clients, which is before you can show your value, you have to know what it is. Yeah. If you don't actually know what makes you unique and amazing and uh, different, what's your X factor, why people are going to freaking line up to work with you, then you got a little, you know, yeah. we're going to do some deep dive and some messaging around that first. But then once you know that value, if you don't actually show it in how you show up, what you wear, how your website is, how your social media is, all of those things, then now you're just like an extra frustrated undercharging yeah. person because you know you're worth it. And right. your mom knows you're worth it. And your best friend totally <laughs> believes that you're worth it. But nobody else yeah. knows. And you spend, you waste so much time like over explaining why yeah. your prices are where they are when they aren't even where they should be or could be yeah. because they can't see the value. And is that their fault? No. Like if we aren't showing up in the world as our highest value and our, our brands and our websites and our touch points, which is anywhere you interact with a client, like I'm a touch yeah. point. You are a touch point, how you answer mm -hmm. the phone, how you send an email. Those are all touch points. If, if they're not lining up and visually validating your value, then it's not the yeah. customer's fault and the world's fault that they don't perceive something that you haven't put out there. I think I think that's awesome. And if anyone's listening and they're like, but I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm not like it doesn't apply to me. But I think what you're saying does apply to everyone. It's like, you know, you heard that statement, dress for the job you want, you know, like and I feel like it's like act 
act as if you already have the job that you want, the promotion you want. So even if you're not an entrepreneur, this still very much can apply to everything that you put out as to who you are and where you want to go within that company that you're in. And even, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, of course, branding is so important. Um, And it amazes me the companies that are out there, you know, and so I'm in the legal world and law firms are notoriously (laughs) horrible at marketing and branding. And that's something that I personally loved doing and building my business. And to watch like the, the messaging and the generic websites with like the lawyer behind a stack of old brown books with like, ugh. It like, it's so boring. So, you know, even I'd say like even a company, like a business that you think has to look a certain way, like that's where there's so it's, it's exciting to like, to like put out something entirely different. And like, even the law firm now, we get so many calls and people say, well, your, your website looked different than anything else. Yes, that was intentional. Our messaging is different. We don't use legalese. We don't have one freaking picture of a stack of books behind anyone. Like no books. No books. It's awful. It's it's trite. It's like so it's so so important. Like and I, I think that people tend to like a lot of people think it's an afterthought. It's like, let me start the business, let me do all of the things and not put time and thought into how the appearance of who we are and how we show up to the world and the perception that people have of us as a business. Yeah. And the thing about branding and and visual brand is it is happening. You can't stall it. You're either doing it to yourself Mm. on purpose, building those perceptions, or they're being formed by people's interactions with you. But when that happens, like you can't keep perceptions from being formed. They're happening, Ah, but you can get intentional about it. So many people end up with a visual brand that happened by default Mm -hmm. instead of by design because it, you know, they waited and they didn't know who they were or what made them special. And so they picked a template, stuck themselves in the box, followed the crowd and marched right into competing on pricing and competing on client lists and trying yeah. to steal market share because mm-hmm. they look exactly the same as everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Johanna, we are coming to an end. In fact, this is the longest podcast <laughs> interview that I think I've done because it's so easy to chat with you and I just didn't want to cut any part of our conversation short. So, but with that said, I have a final question for you. But first, how do we find you? How does someone who's out there who's like, oh, I need branding. I need to work with her. Like, how do they connect with you? Absolutely. So go straight to my website, which is designbyjoestudio.com. Joe is J-O because I'm a girl. If you hadn't figured that out. <laughs> a badass girl. A badass. A princess. <laughs> part princess, part warrior. <laughs> warrior princess at your service. Uh, <laughs> and um, you can also find me on social, Facebook or Instagram. My handle is at Design by Joe Studio. And I would love to chat any of those places, but you'll get the quickest response um, requesting a consult, a free consult through my website. Awesome. All right. Final question that I ask everyone, what does winning mean to you? Ooh, that's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) It's she who wins. See what I did there? (laughs) Such great branding. Um, okay. To me, winning means victory over the fears that kept you playing small. Um, it, it can mean being the best, but in this world, there's so much room for collaboration between women especially. And I think that true winning is, um, is one of my favorite authors, John Acuff le- likes to say, mm. um, when others win, I win too. Ah, yes. And for me, that's winning is like, it's defeat over the fear that was holding me back in any area, whatever it might be. And then helping others win in their life, because that means I'm winning too. 
there's enough success, enough everything to go around for everyone. I love that. I love that. Johanna, thank you so much. I absolutely adore you. You and I will be chatting again soon, but thank you so much for sharing your story with my audience. You're so welcome. And uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. I just want to, can I drop one more little of course like, you can. ending nugget in there? Mm-hmm. For anyone who's listening, who is going through something, whether it's health related or marriage related or just whatever that major trial is. One, if it's health related, remember not to take the doctor's word as the last word. You can't control the world, but you can control your thoughts and your mind and your Mm. mind controls so much more of your world than you would think. So just remember that. And then if it's not health related, just remember that you don't need a whole army of people who believe in you Mm. for you to reach what you're capable of. You only need one person to say it's possible And that person can be you at first if it needs to. And then you'll start to surround yourself with more people who believe in you. And it'll be amazing. But until then, like, stick to your guns and just keep marching forward. And if you're stuck feeling like a victim, focus on something, one tiny thing you can be thankful for regardless of the outcome. And like that changed so much for me, moving from seeking certainty to choosing joy, crush the fear, but then also from feeling like a victim and why me and I don't deserve this to, well, it could be anybody. And I'm so grateful actually for this opportunity because it became the catalyst for greatness. Like how can you turn whatever that trial is into your catalyst for your greatest triumph? Ah, I love that. Perfect. It's a great way to end. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap. Please subscribe to the She Who Wins podcast so you'll be the first to know about every new episode that drops. Until next time, and remember, she who moves forward fiercely is she who wins.